0: It's great to see you all this morning. um, Yeah, it's nice to be with you worshiping this morning. Let me pray for us as we begin this morning. As you'll notice, there's a picture of a Coptic icon this morning of uh, the baptism of Jesus. That is the the thing that we are celebrating today on this first Sunday after the Epiphany of our Lord. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Be always acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. Amen. It was almost a decade ago now, I took a class on something you may or may not have heard of. It's a, it was an Ugaritic language and literature course. Uh, Ugaritic is this fun Canaanite language that was spoken in Palestine about a couple centuries before the Israelites, uh, the Hebrews ever got there from Egypt. Um, so pagan peoples and and they had an alphabet uh, back in, in Ugarit. Uh, and the way they would write their alphabet is by taking something that looked like a chopstick uh, and having a little wedge of uh, a plate of clay and kind of using it to make the wedges into the clay. Uh, They wrote on clay tablets, which is great because clay preserves well, especially when it's fired uh, like pottery. But one thing clay can't often withstand uh, is water. Clay doesn't do well with water. And and so I remember hearing in one of my classes about an archaeology student who had dug up this old Ugaritic tablet that was caked in dirt and uh, what they decided that they were going to try and do to clean this off was to wash it off in the bucket of water next to them and as they did this, it started to disintegrate and they lost hold of it and the whole thing was just completely disintegrated in the bucket of water a 3,000 year old tablet, who knows what was on it um, probably something exciting uh, but the thing is the, the washing of that tablet, their failed attempt at washing it, had completely obliterated this, this Ugaritic tablet. And, and sometimes I think we're tempted to believe that something similar happens when we talk about God's grace found in baptism, that somehow in the grace that God gives us, Uh, Who we were is somehow obliterated completely. And that everything about us now just shines and radiates with the light of heaven all the time. But it doesn't take very long after your baptism to find out that things just don't work that way, do they? Man, I wish that I radiated the light of heaven all the time. Uh, Some days we really do sense the grace of God. And we know that it's present and we're acutely aware of it. And yet some days we are very acutely aware of how broken we are, how broken this world is, how broken the people are around us. Um, Some days our past really catches up with us and affects us. And we're reminded of the places where we feel really insecure about ourselves. The places where we're really tempted to go off course. And I love this saying from St. Thomas Aquinas, a Catholic theologian, who says, Grace does not destroy nature, but perfects it. Grace does not destroy nature, but perfects it. In other words, when we open ourselves up to the grace of God uh, that's at work in us, we step into this process of becoming more like Jesus through our bodily experiences And not despite our bodily experiences. I was actually kind of reminded of this when I was a little sad turning on the lights this morning and there was no more tree in the living room. And then it kind of reminded me, you know what, it's okay because God has to be present in the mundane when all the lights and the glamour are gone. And so what we're saying is that grace does not destroy nature, it perfects it. Christ's baptism is what gives our baptism significance and power. And our baptism, then, is just like Jesus' was an invitation into his public ministry. Our baptism is an invitation to the mission of God for the salvation of the nations, which is what Epiphany is all about. Uh, you'll see the little watermark in the, in the blue slides where it's got the three wise men. This is a season for thinking about how God's salvation goes to the nations. So the baptism of Christ is a reminder that Christ wants to heal in us all those things that were broken by the fall. John had been warning people, uh, John the Baptist, saying, you know, the kingdom of God is near. God's anointed one is Messiah is coming. And they needed to repent of their sins and come back to following God and following his covenant that they had given themselves to. Back in verse 11 of chapter 3 in Matthew, which we didn't read this morning, John had just told the crowds, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit and fire. And when John encounters Jesus in verse 14, he says... I need to be baptized by you. uh, And you come to me? In John's mind, what Jesus had to offer was way better. It was far greater than what John was offering to the people, rightly so. And this passage also then creates a problem. Because uh, as time goes on and the New Testament reflects on who Jesus is, we read about how Jesus is in all ways like we are. Yet without sin. So, why is Jesus coming for baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins if he's the one human being on this earth without sin? And the church has lots of answers to this uh, various attempts to answer that question. One of the ones I find most satisfying uh, is that in the mysterious plan of God, Jesus' baptism actually sanctifies the waters for the sake of our own baptism. So John's baptizing here with water, the one who is going to turn around and baptize the nations with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's a cleansing of the waters, an anointing of the waters. Jesus goes down into the water, and as he comes up out of the waters, the heavens are open. And the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove with God the Father, speaking from above, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And there are lots of connections to be made with the Old Testament, like in the Servant Songs of Isaiah, I, uh, Psalm chapter 2. Um, but one interesting connection here with the Old Testament comes from the book of Genesis. In the, in the beginning, in, in the beginning of God's creation, in the book of Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says it was formless and void. And then in Genesis 1-3, it says the spirit hovered over the waters. Genesis talks about Noah going into the ark and being saved through the flood in that ark. And he only leaves the ark after sending out a dove to fly out over the waters. And that dove returns and brings him an olive branch, a sign that God's judgment is done. And so the dove feels like this symbol that communicates that in this moment, God's wrath is satisfied. His judgment is complete. It's passed. And salvation has come. And then the Holy Spirit reminds us of God's creative work, that there is new creation in this moment. And the baptism of Jesus then is filled with all these symbols of salvation and new creation that it itself sanctifies in the waters of our baptism. We also enter into the ark of salvation and we enter into a new creation when, in our baptism, we experience what Jesus promises. Which is a Holy Spirit and fire baptism. Baptism of Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus sanctifies the waters of baptism so that when he tells his disciples to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, in a real way, anybody who comes after is now entering into a real cleansing and a real new creation. That was made possible because our triune God had blessed the waters with his presence. And that's good news for people who are broken, which at least is me in this room. Maybe it's you too. It's good news for people who are broken and know they're broken. Entering the waters of baptism is, is to experience the death and the resurrection of Jesus, as the New Testament tells us. The same creator, the Holy Spirit, who hovered over the waters... He's the same one who hovers over the waters who makes us new. The places that you and I feel the most broken are still within the reach of God's grace to heal us, to restore us, and to make us new. And I I was thinking about a moment. I remember my son asking me where one of his trains was the other day. And I encouraged him to go look downstairs for his Thomas choo-choo. And he went to the basement. He searched for a while and from the living room i could hear him yell oh no <laughs> so i ran downstairs to try to figure out what was happening with thomas choo-choo and i said hey what's wrong and, and with real concern in his voice he looked at me and said daddy it's broken and so i took one look and i noticed that there was a little piece of plastic that had sort of been bent out of shape so it couldn't connect with the next train so in a calm voice. I said, you know what? It's okay. Don't worry. Daddy can fix that. And it wasn't as hopeless and as broken as he had assumed it was. I just bent the little piece back into place and handed it back to him. And it was almost like I had just worked some miracle. He just looked at me and said, oh, wow. Thanks. I love that. I'm a miracle worker. So... And so I know that, you know, our problems day in and day out are way more complicated than a plastic coupler on a Thomas tank engine. But if we would take the time to just explore with God the thing that's broken, I think he would actually surprise us with his ability to heal us, to work miracles in our lives, to restore us, to make us new. And it is a process of coming to him over and over. And Jesus's baptism... Uh, and our own reminds us that there are these places of disrepair, but those places of disrepair are the opportunities for God to make new creation. And so the baptism of Christ is also a reminder that God wants to restore the dignity of human nature. Jesus' baptism, uh, two amazing things I think happened at Jesus' baptism, among other things. One is the heavens open. Two is that God speaks. The heavens open, God speaks. After the fall of humanity, in the final verse of Genesis 3, it says that God drove out humanity from the Garden of Eden. And it says that he had placed cherubim around the garden and a flaming sword that turned every which way to guard the tree of life. And And I, I've read some of the church uh, fathers on this. I love the way that they talk about this sort of like, mythopoetic imagery of the sword going back and forth because what they say is that the waters of Jesus's baptism are used to extinguish the flaming sword that guards the way to the tree of life in the garden of paradise. The waters of Jesus of, of this baptism extinguish that flaming sword that guards the way to the tree of paradise. And I love how that imagery helps me imagine how true rest, how delight. How the proper use of creation, the experience of intimate fellowship with God and real joy are all ours in Christ. They're all ours in Christ. And Jesus is a second Adam. Right. We think about that. Some of the Pauline language. And and it's interesting to think back to Genesis six. When you think about Noah and the flood just before that. In Genesis six, it says uh, in verse six. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Despite a regret with the first Adam, and by that I mean all of humanity at this point, there's a regret over the disappointment with the first Adam. And and the father says of Jesus at his baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so there is a pleasure in the second Adam uh, to, to overtake the displeasure with the first God's pleased with the second Adam. So, in Christ, you and I enter into God's pleasure when we are in Christ. You and I enter into God's pleasure. Being in God's pleasure, I think, reframes the ways that we think about discipleship and the ways that we think about evangelism. The Christian life is about being fashioned into Christ's image and fully resting in God's pleasure. Fully resting in God's pleasure. It's re entering paradise. So the good life then is reimagined as this kind of like mystical, sweet communion in the presence of God amidst the everyday stuff that you and I go through in our bodies. It's the right use of creation. It's unceasing prayer. The more we rest in that joy, the more we want to invite others into that same joy and rest. It reframes the invitation. And as we think about discipleship and evangelism, There's one more aspect to Jesus' baptism that I think is helpful for us to think about this morning. And that is that Jesus' baptism begins his public ministry. So Jesus died and he rose and he ascended to save a people from their sins. That people is the church. He's saving them currently from the powers of death, from the powers of this present evil age. And before Jesus ascended... In Matthew's gospel, he leaves his disciples with that great commission that you and I are familiar with. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Baptism initiates and it empowers us to join in the mission of God, to follow Jesus, to be a disciple is this continual continually being formed into the image of Christ through the the teachings and through the habits of God's church. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is who God loves. It's who God died for. It's who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's into which you and I are baptized. We're baptized into the church. What the church agrees on throughout time and across geography, which, by the way, when I say Catholic, that's usually what I mean. Um, So if you're ever confused when I say Catholic church, I mean what the church agrees on across geography throughout time. Um, The church has given us ways to think about God. The church has given us ways to think about the nature of humanity and the person of Christ. And she has also given us habits. Habits. To form us into the image of Christ. And we're called to step into those habits. And those practices of seeking the life of the Trinity. Through prayer. Through studying the scriptures. Fasting though not always with food. The things that we speak to others. The ways that we use our bodies. And our time. And our money. Etc. All of those embodied experiences. draw Are all avenues to draw us in. To the love of Christ. And rather than it being a list of to do's, um, I want us to reimagine that these things are helping us become something. The church isn't here necessarily to do something. The church is here to become something. And, and so this is what we're called to in the mission of God is to become the church. Our baptism confirms and it initiates the work of God's grace in us and our joining his mission uh, in the church. To be a people formed in the body of Christ, in the the image of Christ. So when people, and what I mean is this, when people come to be a part of this community, do they hear things that Jesus might actually speak to them? That's what I mean when I'm saying, are we becoming the body of Christ? When people encounter us, do they hear the things Jesus would speak to them? When they come here, do they experience... The things that Jesus would do to them, do they experience the things that Jesus would do for them? When, and when the church is living, it's, and it's scattered through the metro area during the week, um, when people get to know us as individuals, what do they learn about Jesus when they get to know us? What do people learn about Jesus as they get to know us? Are we pressing into that vision of the good life here that's in paradise That's been open to us through the waters of Jesus's baptism. I think it's something that takes a lifetime for us all to explore those places that have been ravaged by the fall. We may not even be aware of what all those places are, but those are the places that God wants to make new in Christ. And in the church, the good news is that those places can be renewed and restored and redeemed. God's grace is at work in us, and as we are on mission with God in the church, um, may we be a place where people come to know that grace of Jesus just by knowing us. Let me pray for us. God, you manifest in your servants the signs of your presence. Send forth upon us the spirit of love that in companionship with one another, your abounding grace may increase in us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord.